This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This is something that we need to be very mindful of today. Sometimes we forget and we're just, we get caught up, we're in the now, we're, we're present, we're trying to do what we need to do today, and we forget about thinking about the future. And there are serious ramifications if we don't take on a mindset of thinking about the future. And, and I want to talk this morning about the future of the church, looking at it through the lens of some events that took place in, in the history of Israel, uh, particularly in Judges chapter 2. Now at this point in their history, the Israelites had been uh, taken out of Egypt. God led them through the wilderness. They denied uh, God and rejected Him, and they, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, and then they went into the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. And so Joshua is their, their leader at this time. Um, and, and what we find in Judges is pretty startling. What happens when they enter into the land, they take their inheritance. Uh, Joshua divides up the land of the people and sends them on to their place. And so they begin to go to their different portions of the land that they've conquered uh, as their inheritance. And here's what happens. We read in Judges chapter 2. Verses, uh, beginning in verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Harris in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. All the days that Joshua lived, as we see here, and all the days of the, of the elders that lived in the time of Joshua, who saw the mighty hand of God taking them through the land of Canaan, they got to see for themselves. Well, let me back up even. Joshua himself has been there since the beginning and, and the exodus trained under Moses, and we'll look at some verses that show us his training. Uh, but the people, the elders that were with him, were that generation that had the, of the children of the unbelievers that died in that 40-year uh, period of wandering before they go into the land. And so this is their children. And they go in and see the hand of God and his works and how they conquer the enemies and how he blesses them with the blessing of Abraham, cursing the enemies that would curse them, blessing those that would bless them and guiding them and protecting them this whole way. They saw it for themselves. But as soon as Joshua dies, and all that generation of those elders that saw these works die, what happens? It says there arises another generation that does not know the Lord and does not know the works that he had done for Israel. What a shame. What a shame. Let's, let's break this down and look at this. First of all, look, examining Joshua, their leader. Uh, because it, we find some important things to, to examine about Joshua and his life. He wasn't just randomly picked to lead Israel when we look at Joshua. He had, been, he had these qualities of a leader, and he was trained long before the people entered into Canaan. And as I mentioned, he came out with the Israelites from Egypt. And Joshua was there battling against the Amalekites as they wandered through the wilderness under the command of Moses, Moses sending them out. Joshua was there at Mount Horeb with, with Moses when Moses was called up uh, to the mount and they gathered themselves and God was giving them the law. Joshua was right there with Moses, side by side. It's often easy to, to skip over and not see uh, Joshua there, but he was the minister of Moses. It says in uh, Exodus 24, beginning in verse 12, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me in the mount and be there. 
And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. And, and Moses went up into the mount of God. Now there was a certain point where Joshua couldn't pass and go with Moses in the presence of God, but Joshua was right there with him going up into the mountain to receive the law and to receive the commandments. Not only did he go up with Moses to get these laws, he was there and he came down and he saw the destruction that took place. He saw the chaos that took place when the people rejected the commandments of God in Exodus 32 and they began to worship the, 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 uh, the golden calf that Aaron had made. And so they come down and Joshua, he, he, we see his, his involvement here in Exodus 32 verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, this is, there's a noise of war in the camp. And Moses said, it's not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. So Joshua was right there and he says, Moses, I hear battle. And Moses says, that's not battle, that people are singing. And so Mo Joshua's right there when Moses goes down and he sees the people worshiping this calf and he throws these tablets down and he breaks the commandments, uh, these tables of stone that God had given him. And he sees Moses call out and say, is there any faithful who will serve God? And the Levites come out uh, from among that group and he gathers the righteous and he executes judgment and there are people that, that, that perish that day uh, for, for breaking the commandments of God. Joshua was right there seeing all of it. This is the training that he received. He was right there beside Moses being mentored, seeing the problems, seeing the, the successes of Israel, seeing all the failures of Israel, seeing the mighty hand of God in blessing them and giving them the law and even executing judgment against, against those who would be wicked. Um, Joshua was there when it was time, if you back up even a little bit, uh, or if you go forward into the future rather, when it's time for them to go and conquer the land of Canaan, Joshua was one of, men, one of the men that was chosen to go spy out the land to confirm to the people the word of God and say, we can do this, God is with us. Joshua was there, Numbers 14, 6-9. Joshua, the son of Nun, and the son, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. They were so displeased that the people turned away, and they sided with the ten spies and said they couldn't do it. And they spake to all the congregation of the company of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it, give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. And they continue to encourage him with many other words. But Joshua was right there, leading these people, trying to help encourage them, being an influence. We see the influence that he has. He's pleading, he's begging with, with Caleb as well. Do this, follow the Lord. So we see his involvement, and we see his heart, and we see his character. Um, and 40 years later from this event, Joshua would be appointed to lead the people into that land and guide them into this land of Canaan. Uh, because after, after they wander in the wilderness and it's the time of Moses' death, God asks Moses to appoint a new leader for the people and God chooses Joshua. In Numbers 27, 16 through 18, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. That the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. And so he appoints him before all the elders, and before all the people, in the sight of all the people, that he is the new leader of Israel, appointed to go lead them into the land of Canaan. So he was a very faithful man. He came out of Egypt. He saw with his own eyes the great works that God had done against the Egyptians. He saw with his own eyes all the blessings that he brought to Israel as he imparted the law and gave them that. 
He saw all the, the, the difficult things in their history as they rejected God and complained and murmured against Him and murmured against Moses and tried to usurp His authority and tried to take over the priesthood from Aaron. He saw all of these things and was a witness of all these things. And, and he saw how God led them into the land of Canaan. And, and again, we see what we see here in this pattern of, of Joshua's life is a training up by Moses and, and, and God choosing him to lead the people into the land. And so while he's in Canaan, Joshua continues to see the mighty hand of God as he drives out the people. They go in and conquer Jericho. They march around the city and the walls fall down and they begin to conquer those lands. And, and God hands them the victory um, as they possess the promised land of, of Abraham that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he sees this with his own eyes. You can imagine that after having received that kind of training, after living that kind of life, after seeing and witnessing these things for yourself, that, that such a man would be a strong leader for his people. And he was. But what was their failure? We read that when that strong leader died, and then even the generation that got to see some of those things, when those people died, there was a generation that rose up that did not know God and did not know the works that He had done for Israel. So how could it be that an entire generation rises up that does not know who God is? How could it be when God, the God that led them out of Egyptian bondage and saved them in, this, in the most pivotal moment of their history of the Passover, showing them the salvation that He was bringing to them, God has them institute a memorial called the Passover that they would observe and because this was a cause to celebrate their salvation, to celebrate the fact that they had been taken out of slavery. And so He memorializes that with the day of observance. And He commanded His people when they left Egypt, make sure you do this. And there was a very specific reason to do this. Not only to celebrate this, the salvation that they had received, but there was another important thing embedded in that commandment. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 8. And thou, sh and thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did to me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he sware unto thee and thy fathers. Uh, and it shall be when thy son asketh thee in, the, in, in time to pass. Jump down to verse 14. It shall, be, it shall be when thy son asketh thee in the time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him, By the strength of the hand of the Lord, or by strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. He says, Do this feast, and have this memorial of when I saved you, uh, from, and you saw these mighty works, so that when your children see this and are participating in this, they say, why are we doing this? And now God sets these Israelites up as parents to have this moment to teach them about the salvation of God and the mighty works that He has done. And they're supposed to say, what is this? The parents' response is supposed to be, this is what it is. This is why we're doing this. This is what it means. Because God saved us from bondage. We were slaves, and there was wicked taskmasters over us, and we were in death, and we were in destruction. But God, because of His great love and mercy toward His people, sent a deliverer 
and we listened and followed and, and God God gave us commandments and instructions and we we faithfully followed those things and he brought us this salvation and it was by his mighty hand. This is what they should have been doing and teaching from generation to generation. How could it be that a generation rises up when God gives them instructions like this? Well, the failure is obvious. They didn't do this. They weren't following this, this commandment to pass this down and impart this to their children. They were supposed to make this a way of life and incorporate their children into this and teach them and train them up in this way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, God told the people in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt, thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. God said, you immerse yourself in the word of God from the time you wake up and you're going about your day, you're working, you're traveling, it's in your path. When you lie down, you're supposed to be living and, and breathing and thinking and using his word and teaching them to your children. This is what they should have been doing all this time, yet they did not. This was their failure because they did not do these commandments that God had asked them to do in passing this on to the, to the next generation. And so a generation rises up that does not know who God is. They have no clue who God is. And they have no idea what He's done for Israel. How He saved them, how He brought them out of bondage, and all the wonderful works that He's shown throughout those many years leading them through, through and putting them in that land of Canaan. God warned his people over and over and over again to pass this knowledge on to your children because there is a deadly consequence if we don't. Hosea 4 verse 6, My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. When we don't have the knowledge of God, we will spiritually die. And if we don't pass this on to our children, our children will spiritually die. And that's exactly what happened to these Israelites just one generation after entering into the land of Canaan, finally entering into the promised land. And they forget and don't know God. So what is the result of that? Because as I mentioned, the consequence, and as God mentions here, the consequence for not knowing God, for not understanding the works that He's done for us, are deadly and will lead us into a path of destruction. We find the results of that. Remember, it says that they knew not God, they did not know His works, and what happened? In, in verse 11, we continue on. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. That's a, a false god, an idol. That was the result. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves to them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, we see God's mercy prevail, even through selling them into their, the hands of their enemies and letting them be destroyed for their own choices. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Did they repent even at that? No. Yet they would not hearken to their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves to them and turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. 
but they did not so. This was the devastating result with no leadership. Because those men had died, Joshua had died, and those elders had died who saw it and were there to tell the stories and there to impart the wisdom of God. And that generation dies, and no one, no one is passing on this knowledge. And so the next generation grows up, and they forsake their God that saved them, that loved them, that has mercy towards them, and they turn to vain worship of idols. They start to worship the creature more than the creator. This lack of leadership in their homes, this lack of leadership in their lives, this lack of leadership at a, on a national level uh, for their faith and for the people of God, devastating, devastating results. So what can we learn as we think about this this story. God gives us this story for a reason. He wants us to know it and pay attention. And in the context of the future of the church, what can we learn for the future of this congregation? And there's some of you visiting from other congregations. What can you do for the future of your congregation? Because we need to know and be looking forward in, in, down the stream of time. Stop looking at just today. Look forward ahead and think about what you're doing because the future, it starts with you. It starts with me. What we're doing today, right now, impacts the future for, for generations to come. And, and I think about this in the context of the story. What if there were enough individuals with the right heart and mind that were strong in the knowledge of God and His works? Would the Israelites have turned to serving idols? Some of them might have. I think they would have had a much better chance of, of staying faithful to God and not turning to those idols. We need strong individuals, and the church needs you to have a genuine change in your heart. The church needs you to have a genuine change, all of us as individuals, to have a genuine change. Jesus was teaching this in the Sermon on the Mount and trying to get to this point and drive it into their minds over and over and over again, showing them that they need to have a genuine change on the inside and, and he says in Matthew chapter 7, there in verse 16, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, or towards the end, he says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Do we gather figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus very plainly and clearly teaches us that we can understand where we're at in our life by examining the results and what we're producing in our life. You shall know them by their fruits. What is it that we're producing in our life? We want to know if we're on the right path or not. We want to know if we're a good tree or not. Look at the fruit. And if the fruit is corrupt, that means the root is corrupt. We need to make sure that in our hearts we have a change because what is in our heart is what's going to dictate what we do. It's going to dictate our actions. It's going to impact the decisions that we make. And we need to be from a good heart because the Word of God has changed our lives 
because we've been faithful and obedient to Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit is helping us to grow and to learn and, and we're submitting ourselves to the teachings and the ordinance of God, making sure that the heart is clean so that then what we're producing is clean and holy. We need to do that genuinely and live as Paul said in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to from, be producing good fruit from a genuine faith and living in a genuine faith. Uh, we need to live as a living sacrifice to God, being holy people, offering up holy and acceptable worship to God, and not be conformed to the, to the world. We need to be changed from the world. So we can't live in our ignorance any longer and do those things that we used to do and, and enjoy those things that we used to enjoy because, well, it's what I want. We have to forget about what we want and let the will of the Father be done and present our bodies to Him. And it starts with you. Because we do this to be a reflection of the holiness of the Father. And this is so important for us to know and understand because how you live touches the lives of your brothers and sisters. The decisions you make and the actions that you are showing, people will see that. If you don't think that we're seeing that in, in the decisions that you make, the decisions that I make, if I'm going about life thinking, well, no one's going to see this or no one's going to care about this, wrong. People hear the words you use. People see the things you post. People see the ways you talk. People see the ways you act. If you spend a lot of time together, you'll see the way that you react to a bad situation. You see the way you respond to tragedy. People will see these things in your life and it's going to impact them and touch their lives as well and be an influence to them, whether for good or evil. So if you have a genuine change in your heart and you're producing good fruit and living as a holy sacrifice, that is a blessing to, to the people around you, to the members of the church, to the family of Christ because we need to be this reflection to one another because we are, although we are not responsible for the choices that, that somebody else makes, we do have a responsibility to each other because we're a family and, and we love each other and we are in Christ working together. This is why Titus, in Titus, Paul made this plea and, and told the people that you need to be a mentor and a teacher. And how can we be good mentors and good teachers if we ourselves are not living in faith and not living according to the will of God. In Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. Remember, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we want to have the sound doctrine, we need to have a sound heart. He says, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and patience. This is the kind of character we need to have. So that if we're an aged man, and I'm, I won't, I won't uh, put you in the box and de define whether you're an aged man or not. You decide. Or so that by the time we become aged men, which I feel like I'm on my way, uh, the aged men, we need to have a certain type of life and a certain type of character because we're training and we're showing and we're mentoring the next generation, or should be. The aged women, likewise. I won't even go there. The, the aged women, likewise. <laughs> That, that they be, be in behavior as becometh holiness. 
not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And the responsibility isn't just to the aged. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself as a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he is it of the that that so that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about you. Do you see what Paul is teaching to the church? Everyone has a part to play. Men and women alike have a duty in teaching and being a pattern of good works, showing the next generation and showing one another, not even the next generation, just showing each other right now, today, how we should be living and how we should be acting and how we should conduct ourselves. We're a pattern to one another and teaching one another in the way that we live. And if, if, if we think that's, if we don't think that or realize that, then we, then we need to have our eyes open to, to the truth of the scriptures and see how much you mean to everyone that's here and how much you impact the lives of everyone that's here. We need to be the kind of people that are genuinely following Christ and influencing and mentoring each other into spiritual maturity. And if we are not living a genuine faith, we're still going to have an impact on others, but it won't be a good one. It'll be destructive because the choices we make as individuals are going to impact the people around us and, and will impact generations. Now that leads into the next part. We not only need strong individuals, we don't need you as a person to, be, to have a good heart and a good mind and a sound heart and, and good so that the, the root is good so that your fruit can be good. We don't just need that. We need you as individuals making uh, relationships and getting married to people who, who are also strong in the faith, who also have that same mind and that same character, who have that same desire to be teachers and to be mentors and to help other people learn and grow out of a genuine faith. We need you building strong families together. That's what the church needs. That's absolutely what we need. Maybe if there were enough families that were strong in teaching their children how to, how to know God and His works, maybe the Israelites wouldn't have turned away from God and forsaken Him. The church desperately needs good families, strong families. And it starts with parents, fathers, you need, if, if you're a Christian, you need to obey the Word of God. I need to obey the Word of God as a father. We don't get a free pass just because we're busy and our, our schedule is filled up and we're tired and we just want to sit on the couch and we just want to watch TV and we just want to unplug. We don't get a free pass to do those things. And, and I'm pointing my own faults out here. Ephesians chapter 6, four, verse 4, God puts a responsibility on you as a father Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The tone of your house, the goal of your house, to be spiritually focused, is on you. You, as men, as fathers, have the responsibility to set the tone in your house and show your children a model of what it means to be a man that follows after God's heart. But it's not just the responsibility on fathers. It's a partnership between fathers and mothers both, because mothers have a tremendous influence on the lives of their children. And it doesn't matter what your family situation is, whether you're uh, blessed to be able to stay at home with your children or, or whether you might have to go to work. That doesn't matter. 
mothers have a tremendous influence on the lives of their children. Paul made this obvious with Timothy. Now, now Timothy's father was a Greek and probably wasn't, didn't care about all these things and didn't care about the Jewish religion and all these things, but his mom was a Jew, and so was his grandma. And notice what it says in, first, in 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul identified this in Timothy's life and says that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Who was teaching him? It was his mom. It was his grandma. And those scriptures are able to make him wise to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, he, he commends in, in chapter 1 there in, in Timothy, he talks about the faith of, of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he says, I'm persuaded that that same faith is in you. He learned it somewhere. He learned it from them. Mothers, you have a responsibility as well to be trainers and teachers of that which is good in your homes. And, and grandparents, for that matter, we see this example of Timothy. Grandparents, you have a responsibility to be reinforcers of these things that your uh, godly parents are trying to teach, working together to teach our children. And, and I want to get, get real clear, and, and I want to say this, all these things carefully, uh, because I know there's ways that I'm very guilty of these things, so it's not an accusation, but it's simply an observation of our, of our time. Um, and you can examine yourself and judge for yourself whether you might fit in any of these categories. I don't know. But our culture today has made it really easy for us as parents to abdicate our responsibility and just pass, pass the buck. It's really easy for us to give up our responsibility and look to someone else and look to something else and then complain about bad results in the lives of our children. I mean, how often do you hear parents that blame teachers and blame the schools? Oh, those teachers, they're not teaching my kid well enough. My kids aren't very smart because the teachers aren't doing a very good job. And they expect the school to take care of their, their children and their ability to learn and showing them how to learn and then even showing them how to behave. And people get upset because the school system is not taking care of their child and raising them up what they, in what they, into what they need to be. But whose responsibility is it? It's certainly not the schools. It's the parents. It starts at home. And you can talk to any teacher in the, in the public school system. There are many, many sisters in Christ and brothers in Christ that are in the school system. You can, you can talk to them and they can tell you about all these things and they'll tell you the same thing. It starts in the home. It's the parents' responsibility. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's not the school system's responsibility to take care of your child. How easy is it for us as parents? Let's, let's, let's get even more real. Maybe you don't even go to public school and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, we don't even do that. We homeschool. Okay, well, we do too. But how easy is it for us to just sit down and let the TV watch our kids? And even more alarming, some kids get a tablet or a phone and they've got access, unfettered access to the internet and who knows what they're watching. And we've seen real-life examples of the destruction that it causes in people's lives. When kids can't pay attention, they can't focus, they're irritated, they can't interact with people, and they're addicted to the screen. How easy is it for us? That, that's just another way that our culture makes it so easy for us as parents to just put it on something else. I'm really busy. It's really helpful. And we do that at home. We do that sometimes. Because there are some days that get really tough. 
But I'm simply saying we need to pay attention to these things. We can use these things and we can enjoy entertainment and um, those things aren't, aren't evil, but, uh, but we do need to be very careful and be very mindful of the habits that we're instilling in our lives as parents. But I want to tell you even more serious is that this attitude is also in the church. There are many people in our culture that expect, because of the culture of, of churches in, in this country um, and what it's become, there are many people that expect the church to have some kind of program, have some kind of class, have some kind of things, have some kind of group or some kind of activity that my kid can join. And some people use it as a break. Well, I just, I just need a babysitter on Sundays. So I'm going to just put them in here and I can finally get a break. And, and the parents that look for those kind of programs, you know, you hear comments like, well, my kids just weren't getting anything out of this group. My kids weren't getting anything out of that church or this church or whatever. And they get frustrated because it's like, my kids aren't growing spiritually and aren't learning spiritually the things they need to learn because this church isn't doing a very good enough job. Now, in all of these cases, the truth is that it is your responsibility as parents. It is my responsibility as a father to my son and my daughters, it is my responsibility to honor God in my heart and to conduct myself in such a way and, and to take on the responsibility of teaching in my home so that I can pass on the love of God to my children. And the same goes for you. If you have a child in your lap, if you have a child in your hands, if you have a child under your care, it is your responsibility to do this. It's not the church's responsibility. It's your responsibility to take up that charge. Psalm 78, God, beautiful psalm, very clearly outlines it and the reasons why it's important. Psalm 78, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and He appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, which should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God very beautifully laid out this pattern and this progression that takes place. We should not hide the words of God from our children. Don't hide the scriptures from your children. Don't keep them away from it going, well, they're just too young. They just don't know. They just won't understand. Let's cast out that attitude and say, let's, let's immerse ourselves and our children in the word of God and bring them in and pull them in and train them and mentor them. And if it's not a daily habit in our lives, we need to make some changes in our lives. If, it, if it's not at least a regular habit in our lives, we need to make some changes in our life. Because we need to pass it on, down to them so that, because they're going to get old, older, it's going to happen. It already feels like it's happening really fast. I don't know how, I don't know how my son is already seven. It feels really weird that he's that big already. And it's going to feel really weird when he's 27 and 37 and he's having kids of his own. And then their kids are getting old enough and having kids. And Lord willing, I'll be alive long enough to see those things. But I want to know that my son and my daughters 
will teach their children and pass it down so that their so that my grandchildren, Lord willing, someday will be able to pass it down to their children as well. That's the kind of heart and mindset that we need to start taking on as parents. It is our duty because if we don't do it today with our children, they won't do it with theirs. And that's how you get a, within one generation a people that, that chooses to turn away from God and take on idols and live according to all the pleasures of this world and start worshiping everything else but God. It's a serious and it's a big responsibility. But if we choose to pass on the word of God to our children, it will bless generations to come. I want there to be a congregation in this town. I want this congregation to be here for many, many years. And I hope that you do too. If we choose to neglect our responsibility, it's going to curse generations to come. And so we need to be aware of that. What we do right now, today, at this congregation, as individuals and as families, is going to have a far reach into the future. And it's not just for your family tree and your own family members, but it's for everybody who is going to be touched by this congregation. And it's going to continue on the work of the congregation. How? Why? Because strong individuals build strong families, and strong families is where strong church leaders come from. And we have to have that. We desperately need that. That's the final observation I want to make this morning about, about this passage. Excuse me. Keep touching my notes and clicking off the screen. There we go. The final observation I want to make from this story in Joshua chapter 2 is that we need strong leaders. While Joshua was alive, the people were faithful. When he died, they weren't. And so there needs to be a continuation of strong leadership among our people or, or our people are going to perish very quickly and go out of the way which God has commanded us. And while Joshua and the elders lived, I mean, think about this. If there were another generation that they trained up and they were godly men, would the children of Israel have turned to idols? Probably not. We need good men, high-quality men, to be striving for the work of the Lord, to be working in, the, in, in doing the work of the Lord so that you can be the kind of men that are described in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. This passage outlines for us what our goal is here at this congregation. To have men and women and families that are high quality, because it's a family, it, is, it does take your wife and your children as well, but to have men that are qualified to be elders we need men that are qualified to be deacons. This is the model that God wants for His church. This is what this congregation needs and is working towards. Let's read those quickly. 1 Timothy 3, 1-13. The Bible says, It's a true saying if a man desire the office of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then, notice just how it connects to, the, to, the, to this progression that we've made. It starts with you as an individual. Men, listen. This goes for me as well. We need to be listening to these words and strive to be these kind of men. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, be of good behavior, given to hospitality, able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity, 
It starts with you as an individual and the choices you make to be a godly man, to have Christ in your heart, and, and, and for me as well. Like this is what we need to do as individuals. And notice how it leads up into this idea of our family. We need to have, we need to have godly marriages. And notice verse 5 particularly. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That's why families are a training ground for elders. Because if you don't know how to train your children, if we don't know how to discipline our children, if we don't know how to help them produce good fruits in their lives, if we don't know how to love and honor our wives and help her with the things that she needs and lift her up and, and work together as a, as a unit, if we don't know how to do that in our homes, how in the world are we going to come into a group of, of Christians and try to do that with them? We're going to neglect to train people. We're going to neglect to teach them the Word of God. If we're not able to teach our children, how will we be able to teach the children of God? If we're not able to have wisdom and sound judgment and look into our kids' lives and look at their behavior today and say, you know what, if you stay stuck in this habit, here's what it's going to cause. If we don't have that kind of judgment and wisdom, how are we going to bring that into the family of God and look at each other's lives? And, and if you're in the responsibility of an elder, look at their lives and go, this behavior is going to lead to some chaotic consequences and destruction. We won't have that. So you're practicing and you're doing that and you're growing that, these things in your home. That's why God cares so much about us as individuals building strong families because it leads to strong leadership. He says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, have a good report of those that are without. You have to have good conduct and be well uh, have a good reputation out and about because you're living a holy and pure life, lest you fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. And he goes on into the qualifications of deacons. They're very similar. Uh, they're very similar qualifications of having your family, a good wife and good children and, and ruling your own house well because God cares about the leadership of his church. But these kind of habits we build as leaders in our homes are going to carry into the service uh, our service in church leadership. That's why it means so much. And these are the types of men, brothers, these are the types of men you and I need to be. We need to encourage one another to do this. And when we see each other going off the rails, we need to love each other to hold enough to hold each other accountable and say, hey, noticing this in your life, let's be bold Let's be courageous and let's hold each other accountable to the truth. And let's encourage each other to be good men that are leading our families well. That's what we need if this congregation is going to have a future. If this con congregation is going to last another 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It will go away and die very quickly if we don't do these things. And we need you as men doing these things. I need you to encourage me to be this kind of man. We need, to, we need to have our families uh, encouraged and trained up and, and us encouraging our wives and wives encouraging each other and everyone's participating and contributing to mentoring and training and teaching each other. It's a beautiful picture that God provides for us and it's self-sustaining as it produces elders and, and, and teachers and workers and laborers in the kingdom. But it doesn't start without people caring enough to pass this on and be these kind of people because it's not just about the men that we have in this room today all the boys, all the young men, all the boys that are here, someday they're going to be the next elders, or the next deacons, 
all the, the daughters that are in the room, they're going to be the wives of these men. And it's critical that we train them up and pass these things on. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, this is the model that God wants. The things that you have heard of me, this is what Paul told Timothy, the things that you've heard of me about the gospel, and you've saw my way of life, you've seen how I live, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will teach others also. It's a perpetual cycle. We need to continue teaching and passing on the word of God, or else we will die. We will perish for that lack of knowledge. And that's exactly the picture we see in Joshua's life, how he was trained over time so that he would be ready when it was his time. And this shows us what we can do. Pull your children in today. Take them along with you to the Bible study. Take them along with you to, to visit someone who's sick or someone who is lonely or someone... Invite them to help you write in the cards as you're writing cards to someone to encourage them. Bring them in and show them how to serve the people. Show them how to help one another. Show them how to love one another. Don't cast them off as too young. Because if we do that, then it'll be too late. We have to be looking for this next generation. And unfortunately for Israel, there was no leadership after Joshua and those elders died. The next generation wasn't trained up, and they went into error. And if we want the church to thrive in the future, we have to be mindful today to identify and nurture the next generation of leaders. Let's keep doing this, brethren. I, I, wanna, I want us to think very serious about that and take this charge up. Let's take this responsibility, not put it on anyone else, but put it on ourselves to be these kind of people, to have these kind of families, to, to care about having this kind of congregation that sees these kind of leaders. It's so important because without doing these things, there is no future of the church. And we can just give up now. Let's not be that generation that allows the history of God's people to repeat itself. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you've been washed in the blood of Christ, you've been saved by His, by His mercy and His love through Christ and, and the resurrection, and you feel and see these things in your own life, and you need encouragement, I want to tell you, we don't make these invitations so that people can be embarrassed or it's like, oh, we want, we just, we want to prove that we convicted someone. We could care less about that. What we care about is people that need help genuine, getting an opportunity to just genuinely reach out and we're here to help and pray with you. And I know how tough it is to come forward. If you don't feel like you can do that, it doesn't matter. You can come to, after the services, pull somebody aside. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's help each other. We are a family in Christ, and we, we really care about each other's spiritual development. And we want you to learn and grow. And we're here to study or do anything that we can do to help you. We genuinely mean that. And so if you need the prayers of the church, because you feel the, the, uh, the sting of conviction in your heart, and you think there's changes I need to make, I need to change my mind, I need to change my actions or habits, and I need help, we're here to, to, to lift you up before God so that He can help you. And if you're not a member of the church, and you want to be a member of the church, we, we must know that God wants you to be part of the future of the church. The decision you make today 
whether you embrace the counsel of God or you reject the counsel of God against yourself, you need to know that God wants you and your family and, and wants you to be a part of His family to impact generations to come. And so if you want to do that, won't you choose this day to be, become a member of the body of Christ? Become part of His family. Have your sins washed away and, and learn to live with a genuine change of heart as a living sacrifice for Him. If there's anybody that has a need, please come forward as we stand and we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.